Old Testament, <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 to 20. <clears throat> when all these blessings and curses I have set before you come upon you and you take them to heart, whatever the Lord your God disperses, you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything, I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belong to your fathers and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. For the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will obey, you will obey again you will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I am giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruits of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight you in and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands, and decrees that are written in this book of the law, and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, what am I commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you have to ask. Who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your hearts turn away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before your life and death blessings and curses. Now choose life that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he'll give you many years in the land he swore to give you to your fathers, Abram, Isaac and Jacob. Thanks, man. We've been working through 
the book, the book of Deuteronomy in a few talks, if you haven't uh, been here up to this point. And it's been a, a great journey. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have and uh, what God has to say to us, even in the Old Testament. It's great that even in the Old Testament, that kind of reading might seem a bit uh, abstract and distant from us, but yet as God's Word, it, it does speak to us and uh, we can hear God speak to us through that and learn uh, a lot from it. So let's pray that that would be the case. Let's pray before we look at that passage closer. Heavenly Father, we uh, do give you great thanks for the time we've been able to spend in your word in the book of Deuteronomy. Father, thank you that uh, we get to see that you are the one true God that you're the same God yesterday, today and forever, that you're the same God for us today as it was, as you were for uh, the Israelites. Father, we give you uh, great thanks for your word that you speak to us in it and we pray as we look at it now, you'd help us uh, to be changed, to live for you and what you've done for us through your son Jesus and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder how you go at making decisions. How do you go at making decisions? You're pretty good at it? Or are you a bit like me? <laughs> I'm, I'm terrible when it comes to uh, making decisions and of course my mum laughed the loudest then I think. And she'd know that very well. Uh, I'm terrible when it comes to making decisions. I am indecisive as it comes. I am an R. I need to have all the information in front of me before I can actually make a decision. Every single little bit of information before I can actually make a decision. I'm terrible at making decisions. And this has become more apparent to me since I've been married to Jasmine. Usually when Jasmine and I want to go out for dinner, I'll ask Jasmine, where would you like to go for dinner? And so this point, it really starts because usually she says something like, you're a big boy now, you can work it out. And so I've got to make the decision. I've got to make the choice of where we're actually going to go for dinner. Now, this is actually quite difficult in Sydney, where we used to live. Not so much Evans Head, because, you know, really, you've just got the, the bolo, the pub, or the RSL club to go to, one of those three. It's not too hard to make that decision. But in Sydney, where we used to live in Newtown, there was restaurants that would line the street. And so I wasn't sure if Jasmine would like to have Thai for dinner. I wasn't sure if she'd like to have Indian for dinner. I wasn't sure if she'd like to just... Go out to the pub. I wasn't sure if she'd like to have Mexican, um, Czechoslovakian. They actually have that in, in Sydney. I don't know. And so it all starts like this. It goes chaotic. I don't know what she wants. I don't really know what I want. And so I'm just lost. And the decision winds up usually being, well, we'll just go to the same place that we went to last time. I'm terrible at making decisions. Uh, I wonder how you go at making decisions. I am an R all the time. And really, there's lots of decisions that we need to make every day, aren't there? Some seem small and insignificant, like, what am I going to have for lunch today? What movie am I going to watch later on tonight? Uh, Some are really big. Which job do I need to take? Where will we move? Where will we live? Well, today, as we close in on the end of this book of Deuteronomy, we find that there's a big decision on the line. You see, there's no room for indecisiveness on this one. The choice before us today, it's not simply one that you can make and just think, okay, like picking something off a menu. Tick, done, let's get that. It's much bigger than that. This is a life-changing decision and it's one that we need to live out 
every day. Because we'll come to see that this decision is actually a matter of life and death. It's a matter of whether we enjoy a life of blessing or a life of curse. It's a matter of life and death. So I hope that you're ready uh, to make it count, to make this decision count today. Now what we, know for, uh, what we know about the setting here in the book of Deuteronomy is that God's people in the Old Testament, uh, they were some 3,000 years ago, they were living on the edge of their great promised land. So this goes all the way back, this promised land. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 and it talks about some promises that God made, that God's people would live in God's place in the promised land under God's rule and enjoy his blessing. So three promises back to Genesis 12, people, land, and blessing. And so the, God's people are right on the edge of going into the promised land, the place where they'd enjoy relationship with God, his rule, under his blessing. And now after everything God has done to get Israel to this point, all the miracles in Egypt, you know, the rescue of them out of slavery, the parting of the Red Sea for them to escape, after their failed attempt the first time around in going into the land, well, God has led them through the wilderness for 40 years to this point and now as their faithful, tiring leader Moses, as he lies on his deathbed, the parting challenge that he leaves is to make the right decision. And so what's the, the decision before them? What's the decision before God's people? We heard it read there. Here it is. Moses sets it plain and clear for them to see. He says, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land that he swore to give to your fathers. So here it is. Plain and simple. Here it is. So clear for them. Here is the decision that they need to make. It's a decision of life or death. Now we heard last week that this life of blessing is found only in relationship with God. And within that relationship, God's people are to live obediently to God because of what he's done for them. But outside the relationship with God, we heard that's about a life of curse. It means death. It means separation from God. And that's really the picture that we have here. If Israel live outside relationship with God, if their hearts are turned away from God, well, they choose a life of curse. They only choose a life of death. But if they live in an obedient relationship with God, if their hearts are turned towards God, then they look forward to life. And so we've got to wonder here, well, how will Israel, how will God's people actually decide? What, what will they do? Will they turn towards God, turn their hearts towards him and live obediently in relationship to him? Or they turn and go the other side? Or they live disobediently to God and be separated, be cut off from God? Life or death? Blessing or curse? This is a really big decision they've got before them. And so the stage is set. God's people, they're right on the edge of going into the promised land. And we're wanting to know, well, what will Israel decide? What will they decide here? Well, at the start of chapter 1, we get the idea of what is actually ahead for them. I'm not sure if you noticed that from verse 1. Uh, it says there, When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come upon you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, 
And when you and your children return to the Lord, your God, and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations he scattered you. So what did they choose? What did God's people choose back then? What was their decision? Well, it says there that they had all these blessings. And so did they live in that obedient relationship with God and enjoy it? Did they live in the promised land? Did they have uh, that promises where it was God's people in God's place under God's rule and enjoying God's blessings? Did they have hearts turned towards God? What did they choose? Well, they did. They did choose to live obediently to God. But yet, it was very short-lived. Because what we find in verse 2, it didn't last. Ultimately, the Israelites chose death. You see, it says there, when you and your children return to the Lord and obey Him with all your heart, then the Lord your God will restore you. So when you turn back and obey and live in an obedient relationship with God, then God will restore you. See, God's people, they turned their hearts away from God and they lived outside relationship with God. And so the question that needs to be asked is why? If, why, if they chose going one way and ignoring God, why did God promise the future of life? Because did you notice that when we were reading that earlier, there's this promise of being restored. Uh, what Moses says there, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his, uh, his, uh, his commands I'm giving you. So God's people actually were restored. They can live sometime in the future. And God's people can look forward to these circumcised hearts, these changed hearts for God, where God is going to work in his people so they actually can live for him, so they actually can choose to follow God. And so what's going on here? Well, why would God say, if, if you turn away and not live for me, well, then you'll experience a life of curse, you'll experience death. Has God just lost his memory? Like, has he forgotten everything that's happened? Is some kind of divine dementia? Like, if Israel's history was that they turned their hearts from the one true God and go their way, well, the history of God that we know is that God always keeps his word. He's always wanted people to turn to him, to turn their hearts to him, and to live in an obedient relationship with him and enjoy his blessing under his rule. And so the big question that remains is, when is God going to do that? When is God going to change disobedient hearts? When will people share in the blessings found in relationship with God? When is that going to happen? Because really this is the end of Deuteronomy, pretty much the end of this book in the Old Testament. Now, the next chapter, Israel, we're told, will reject God and then we get this picture and we get this uh, account of the death of Moses and that's it. This account of Moses' death that there's been no other leader of Israel, of God's people, than Moses. And so we just close off the book thinking, well, where's this future life? Where is this blessing? Where is this life going to be found? As we move through the Old Testament, the question remains, well, is this where God will change disobedience hearts to live for him? And so under their new leader, Joshua, Israel moved from the edge and they go into the land. But by the time we move further, it gets a bit rocky. These kings, they turn their hearts away from God. And so the question remains, well, when is God going to actually change disobedient hearts? 
We get to the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and God's people are told they need to turn their hearts back to God. And so again we get this question, well, when, is going to, when is God going to change people's hearts to love him, to be obedient to him? And then we hit the end of the Old Testament and there's nothing. There's silence for 400 years. After the hope that God held out for his people, after the, the hope of this future life that he spoke to his people about a time that was coming that they enjoy God's blessing, there's nothing, there's silence. 400 years. And so we're left wondering, when is God going to change disobedient hearts to love him? It all seems lost. It all seems lost by the time we hit the end of the Old Testament. I don't know if you've been lost much before. I often get lost, usually when I'm coming out of the shopping centre, either Lismore Square or Ballina Fair. I'm like, now where did I park? And usually it'll be the next 10 or so minutes kind of wandering around just looking for the car. And is that it? No, that's someone else's car. You know, it's a pity. We should have made our car like white with pink polka dots on it or something like that so it's easily to see. But I get lost so very easily when I come out of the shopping centre. Uh, I've been lost in Sydney before as well, driving around. And uh, what happened was I went through the toll booth and I thought, oh, I'll just take this left, not really knowing that was the right one. I wound back at the same toll booth. And so I paid the $3.30 again the second time and drove on. And I thought, maybe this is the road. So I took that road. Funnily enough, I wound back at the same toll booth. I said to the guy, look, this is actually the third time I've been through the toll booth. Can you let me go through for free? And he said, no, mate, sorry, no free passes, not even for Jesus. So on you go. That's like $9.90 I've just paid in tolls. I get lost so easily, I'm not sure about you. For God's people in the Old Testament, it seems like all was lost. It would have seemed that they were just driving through this toll gate over and over again, that they were wandering around this shopping centre car park over and over again. They were lost. It seemed like it was lost because God had said... There was going to be a future life they could look forward to of blessing in relationship with God. But yet, by the time that we get to the Old Testament, it's not here. All seems lost. But that is until we get to the first book in the New Testament, to Matthew. And straight up, we're introduced to a man named John and his message, people, turn your hearts back to God. And his reason, because one greater is on the way. And it's with that question ringing in our ears, that question of well, when is God ever going to change disobedient hearts to love him? When will God's people ever enjoy the blessing of being in a relationship with him that we're pointed straight to the perfectly obedient one? We're pointed to Jesus, the Son of God. And you see, Matthew's Gospel, uh, Matthew's account of Jesus in the New Testament makes it clear for us the first thing that happens to Jesus after he meets John the Baptist is that the Spirit takes him out into the wilderness for 40 days and he's tempted by Satan. And Jesus is tempted to turn away from God the Father, to go his own way. But how does Jesus respond? Well, he quotes a book from the Old Testament. And he quotes right here from Deuteronomy. You see, we're on something mind-blowing here. You see, what we've got with Jesus in the desert, you've got temptations, you've got the wilderness, you've got the book of Deuteronomy... And what do we have? Well, Matthew is setting up a link between Israel and Jesus. You see, Israel spent 40 years in the desert and they didn't learn. They turned their hearts away from God and were in, uh, from being in an obedient relationship with God. Now here's Jesus, tempted for 40 days in the desert. 
There's no rebellion to God the Father. Jesus is living out and quoting the lessons that Israel really should have learnt from Deuteronomy. And so right here, Matthew is saying, well, here's someone who succeeds where Israel fails. Here's someone that's going to form a new people of God. Here's someone that will change hearts to be obedient to God and to enjoy the blessing of relationship with God. And so Jesus chooses 12 guys, 12 disciples, the same amount of tribes in Israel, and he takes these blokes up a mountain and he starts to teach, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. And so right here in Matthew's Gospel, at this point, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew's saying to us, here's someone that provides the blessing of being in relationship with God. Here's someone that gives us life. Here is Jesus. It's really just mind-blowing, isn't it, the way that God's Word just makes this beautiful connection. And so we've had the question ringing in our ears, well, when is God going to change disobedient hearts? Is it ever going to happen? After all the silence, we get to the New Testament and Jesus is living a perfect, obedient life to God. And we kind of ask, well, why does he have to live that way? Was it so that we could just have this good example to follow? A good leader to follow? Was it because Jesus was trying to get recognition as just some other prophet? Was it so that people could have something to compare themselves? People would think, man, actually, you know, not that bad. Why does Jesus' perfect obedience to God matter? Because Israel couldn't live that way and because we know that we can't live that way. Now we've heard that God's people were to choose life. They were to live in a relationship with God, enjoy the blessing that's found in Him. But yet, they chose death. They turned their hearts away from God. And right here, we hear, we hear that Jesus succeeds where Israel fails. Even when he was tempted, even when he was tempted by Satan in the desert, he lived the way, that obedient way of God, of, to God the Father. And he lived obediently right up until death on a cross. He did it for God's people, Israel. He did it for us. And so the choice for Jesus was for him to choose death. And that was his option, his only option. His blood flowed from that cross so that life and blessing from a relationship with God would flow to us. Jesus is the one whose heart turned towards God. He's the one that loved God the Father, heart, soul and strength. He's the one that listened to God's voice, the one that dealt with Israel's problem, with our problem of our hearts not living for God. He's the one who provides blessing of being in a relationship with God. He's the one who chose death for us to have life. And so the question then, when is it going to happen where God will change disobedient hearts? Well, it happens when his son Jesus is lifted up on an ugly wooden Roman cross. And it's at that point that the curse of those disobedient to God, the curse of death is lifted from us. And now there's life, there's blessing of being in relationship with God because of God's son Jesus. You see, Jesus takes the penalty for us that, that we deserve, that our hearts deserve from turning away from God and he replaces it with his own. Jesus' perfect, obedient, sinless life, well, he takes our rebellious, disobedient, sinful one and takes it. You see, this time it's Jesus' track record on the line. He's got it right, he's put it right and through Jesus we have this fresh start and we have a fresh heart and we have this close relationship with God 
that even God lives in us. His Spirit lives in us. We have changed hearts now that we can turn to live God's way and not our own. Do you see that? Do you see the life? Do you see the blessing, the relationship with God that only comes through Jesus' perfect obedience? Through Him choosing death for our sake? So we've got to ask then, what's our choice? If life, if the blessings of being in a relationship with God is what we're to choose, how will we go about doing that? Uh, I knew a, a mum uh, of a friend of mine who used to say to her kids when they walked out the door, before you go to school, make wise choices. Make wise choices. And that, that's what she said uh, as the kids were walking out the door. And it's a good kind of thing to remember, isn't it? Make wise choices. What do I do in this decision? Do I go this way or do I go this way? Make wise choices. And it's, so, it's such a good phrase that I've actually used it at school. You know, you can say to a student that's mucking up, you know, you're not making a wise choice here. Your behaviour is being a bit difficult. What are you going to do? You're going to make wise choices? Okay, make wise choices. It's a great little phrase, isn't it? And so as God's children, what's our wise choice? What's the choice that we face as we live on the edge of our promised land, of what the Bible calls the new creation? What's the choice for us knowing that Jesus chose death so that we'd have, have life? Well, it's not going away from God, is it? It's going towards God. It's knowing Jesus' obedience and trusting in him so that we can have life, that we can have the blessing of being in relationship with God. So what's our choice as we live on the edge of our promised land, as we long for our new creation where everything will be made new, where there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more death? What's our choice? Well, it's to live in that relationship, isn't it? that Jesus has won for us. It's to trust in him. It's to choose life and to trust in Jesus' obedience because we have the blessings of being in relationship with God through him. And so, remember how I started off? How we started off thinking about decisions, about what decision am I going to make? We even heard it in the kids' talk. What, do we gonna, what are we going to choose at this point? How are we going at choosing life? How are we going at trusting Jesus in even in the little decisions? Because really what our little decisions say and show is what our big decisions are about. These little decisions actually show what our big decisions are about. So think about it. In the little decisions, do we pray today? Do we read the Bible tomorrow? Am I going to be supportive of that person? Should I talk about them behind the back or should I just keep my mouth closed? Should I turn on the computer and look at something I probably shouldn't or should I just turn it off and walk away? Uh, should I turn on the TV before I talk to my family and ask how they're going? Should I worry about the bank balance before coming to God in prayer about it? Should I spend an extra bit of money when I don't really need to? All these little decisions, they show the bigger decision. So what are your little decisions telling you of your big one? Is your trust in Jesus? And how are we going at choosing life? How are those little decisions going at even trusting in Jesus? In the relationship that Jesus has won for us, in the blessing of life he's won for us. And so let's finish off thinking about this from Deuteronomy. We heard this in chapter 30. This day... I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against all of us here in Evans Head 
and eon that God has set before us, life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. Trust in Jesus. Know the blessing of a relationship with God that he's won for us. Do this as you live here on the edge of our promised land, the new creation, so that all of us and our children may live and know the love that God has shown to us, that we listen to his voice and that we hold fast to him. Choose life. Let's pray that we would. Let's, let's talk to God. Heavenly Father, we do give you great thanks that even though God's people, the Israelites, even though for ourselves that we know that we haven't and don't often trust you the way that we should and are obedient to you the way that we, we know we should be. Father, we thank you that you didn't leave us in the dark in our disobedience, Father. Thank you that you've given us your son, Jesus. Thank you that he stepped in to our place and took on himself the penalty that our disobedience to you deserves. Father, we pray and ask that you would help us to live for Jesus. Father, thank you that we have your spirit living in us, showing us how to live for you. Thank you that we have your word uh, that shows us and guides us to your son, Jesus, and shows us how to live for you. Father, thank you that we have each other to encourage uh, each other to live for you. Father, we pray that we would do that. We pray that we would choose life. In all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.